Tonight, I'd like to, maybe a little bit softer, yeah, a little bit softer. Tonight, I'd like to begin by doing a a guided meditation, essentially, an exercise in expanding awareness, just as a a pointer to a kind of awareness that can be very broad and very relaxed. So there's not, you don't need to alter your posture. Just find a place or a way to sit where you'll be comfortable for about 15 minutes or so. might go as long as 20, but... Uh, um. And while we go through this, exercise, it's really helpful to relax and keep coming back to that relaxation as we go. So for now, go ahead and let your eyes close. And I'd like you to just allow your awareness to take in the sensations in your head. Whatever physical sensations you're feeling there. Pulsing, tingling, vibration. Dryness, coolness. Just experiencing the sensations in your head. And now I'd like you to invite you to expand that awareness now to include the sensations in your neck almost as if your awareness were a bubble that you were allowing to relax and expand from just encompassing the sensations in your head to now include the sensations of your head and the sensations of your neck. Relax and widen the awareness. Allow the bubble of awareness to expand now to include your shoulders. So you're taking in the sensations of your head, your neck, and your shoulders. If you can relax your mind, it's easier to not try to do this so much, but more relax into it. And allowing the bubble of awareness to expand, to include your torso. All aspects of the physical sensations in your torso. From top to bottom. Front to back and side to side. the interior dimension 
the three-dimensionality of the experience, including your head, your neck, your shoulders, and your torso. Pulsing, vibration, pressure, movement. Relax. And allowing the awareness to expand outwards to include your arms. Staying connected with the sensations of your head, your neck, your shoulders, your torso, and your arms. You might envision this awareness as an expanding, cognizant, fluid bubble. Allowing now your awareness to stay connected with the physical experience of the upper part of your body. And also notice any emotional or mental experience or responses to the process that we're going through. Allowing this expanding bubble of awareness to take in not only the texture of the physical experience, but the texture of your emotional your mental experience. Relax. This isn't something to do. Just see what you can open to. Allowing your awareness to expand to include the physical sensations of your hips, your buttocks, staying connected to the experience of your head, your neck, shoulders, torso and arms. Your hips, your buttocks, as well as any mind states that may be coming. Relax and allow the awareness to expand to include your thighs and your hamstrings. And staying connected to the physical experience Noticing the impact 
this has on the mind. And allowing the awareness to expand, to take in the whole body, including your knees, your lower legs, your feet, along with your head, neck, shoulders, torso, arms, hips, buttocks. The internal physical dimension of the body and the texture of the mental experience. Now I'd like to invite you to allow this bubble of awareness to expand beyond your body, beyond the confines of your body, allowing yourself to let go of the idea of the edges of your body. Let yourself feel in to the texture of awareness. the feeling of knowing. And staying connected with the bodily sensations and the mental experience. Allow yourself to open to include the experience of hearing. There's not much work that you need to do to hear, to include hearing in this practice. You've already been hearing without much effort during the course of the guided meditation. from time to time, you might notice the experience of hearing producing a kind of a ripple through this field of awareness. And you might notice also sometimes a change in the mental experience producing a ripple through this field, this feeling of knowing. Relax. Staying connected to your physical, bodily experience. The experience of the mind, emotions, thoughts, moods, and hearing. And staying connected to the body, to the mental experience, to the hearing. 
I'd like to suggest to expand this field of awareness still further by opening your eyes. Notice the impact that opening your eyes has on the experience. Relax. Allowing yourself to take in the physical experience of the body, the vibration, pulsing, tingling, heat, coolness, pressure, hardness, softness. Recognizing, acknowledging any emotional experience, any moods, mind states, or thoughts. Staying connected to all of that, taking in the vibration, the pitch and tone of hearing. form and color of seeing. Relax. The body actually does all of this by itself. You might notice awareness moving kind of rapidly between experiences, picking up on something here, then something there. Or you might notice a sense of the awareness just suffusing in a very light way the whole of the experience. The experience can be very ordinary, very present, but very ordinary. And staying connected to your bodily experience, your mental experience, especially your mental experience right now, allow yourself to start to look around, noticing the movement as well as what you're seeing. Actually look at things, noticing how the mind responds as your eyes land on certain things. Noticing how the body responds. And as much as possible, staying connected to all of this experience. You can Break your posture, if you like, and start to move a little more, noticing, again, how the mind and body respond to that movement. I'd like to encourage you during this talk to see if you can stay connected with some sense of this awareness while I'm exploring the topic of not knowing.
the more we practice. The more we come into our experience. The more we really deeply see and recognize that we just do not know what is going to happen to us. We feel this, we recognize this on both the obvious, more, more gross level of our lives, of really recognizing and understanding that we don't know from moment to moment what's going to happen to us in the conventional sense of, I mean, in in all likelihood, five minutes from now, we'll all still be sitting here. But we don't actually know that. And there's a way that we really can connect with that truth the more deeply we enter into this practice. And on a more subtle level also this is true. We really begin to see as we touch into our moment-to-moment experience the deep truth that we have no idea what the next arising experience will be. So entering into the present moment, really coming into our experience here and now, we can enter into it as an exploration of not knowing. When we come into the present moment, particularly at the beginning of a retreat, but often during the retreat as well, over and over again, we often bring baggage with us that kind of obscures this not knowing quality of being in the present moment. We bring our views and opinions and ideas about who we are into the present moment. about what we can and can't do. And then we take those views and opinions and views of what we can and can't do from our past, from our history, from our conditioning, and we create a future in which we can and can't do things. And in a way, that historical conditioning, that baggage that we bring in with us to the present moment, conditions our experience to become a self-fulfilling prophecy so that we, real, that we find we can and can't do these things that we think we can and can't do because these views and opinions are operating. So in a sense, with this conditioning and these beliefs, we think we know who we are. We think we know. We don't give ourselves much room to not know 
to not be bound by those views. I know that most, most people have had this experience of coming, coming into contact with a friend or someone that you've known for a while and uh, that person having known you for a while has views and opinions about who you are and what you can do and can't do. And we bristle sometimes when we meet that kind of energy from from a friend. It's like, you don't really know me. And yet that same thing we do to ourselves. We do that to ourselves quite often. And we do it to our friends also. So this holding to views of who we are obscures this possibility of opening to this not knowing. And not only do we bring in baggage from the past and project it into the future, We also have views, thoughts, beliefs about what's happening to us in the present moment. One way this comes into play is through the assigning of meaning when we meet an experience. Something happens and it's about me. What does it mean about me? Or how does it relate to me? And there's the perceptual process that happens in the present moment. There's a very natural process that happens that when something occurs, the sound of a bell, the sound of a bird, the touch of a footstep, the arising of an emotion, a feeling of pressure or tension or tightness, seeing of color and form. As soon as that happens, the mind recognizes it. It labels it. It's a very natural process of the mind. And yet, we so often make the mistake of confusing that perception with reality. Perception is something that just comes up in our minds. It may or may not be correct. It may or may not be accurately perceived. And from that movement of perception, which is just a natural functioning of the five skandhas that Sally talked about, five khandhas, 
we very quickly move from perception to thinking about to creating whole stories about. We move into that world of papancha where we create a whole world in our minds and often believe it. So we're several layers removed from what's actually happening in the present moment, from what's actually being contacted with our present moment experience. So we mistake the concept for reality, thinking that we know something. Now, concepts are useful. I'm not saying concepts are not useful. We need to use concepts. But we also, it's also very helpful to be very clear on the difference between the actuality of the experience and the perceptions arising around it. In a sense, I think partly we we really count on these concepts because they kind of stabilize our world for us. You know, things are actually changing pretty quickly. Through the use of concepts, we kind of come into a place where we feel like, okay, things are kind of grounded here. We, We know what's happening. We have this sense that we know what's happening. And again, entering into the present moment, coming into contact with actual experience, we start to see that we don't know. The mystery, the mystery of experience. There's a famous story in the suttas about mistaking perception for reality. It's the story of the blind men and the elephant. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story, so I'll just review it briefly. This is uh, a king um, asked his attendant to bring all the blind people together in, a, in the in the kingdom and asked him to show the blind people an elephant. And to one person he showed the, the legs, another the tail, another the, uh, the ears, the tusks, so all the various parts of the elephant. And uh, after they'd been shown the elephant, the king asked them, so tell me, what's an elephant like? And the people who'd been shown or felt the legs said, well, an elephant is like a post. And those who'd been shown the tail said, well, it's like a broom. Those who'd been shown the ear said, it's like a a winnowing basket. Those who'd been shown the sides said, like it's a storeroom. And having felt in their own experience these the direct experience of this they started fighting among each other no an elephant is like this you're wrong an elephant is like this so part of this Story. I think part of the, the teaching aspect of this story is about the danger of creating views out of your own direct experience. That we may not have the whole picture. So even though we have a sense of something true from our direct experience, Creating a view and saying, this is the way it is, 
that can be misleading. Misleading at best, perhaps, and dangerous at worst. So it's helpful to understand this process of perception, how it works, what the mind does around perception, so that we're not fooled into mistaking it for reality. And understanding also how prone to error concept can be. I have one story from my own experience around that mistaking of perception, the the kind of how prone to error it can be. I was on retreat in Burma at uh, the monastery, and this monastery that I was staying in is relatively close to some uh, houses in the nearby village. Just nearby, there, there were some other houses. And uh, every evening around dusk, or it seemed like very frequently in the evening, I don't remember if it was every evening, but frequently in the evening around dusk, I would hear this squealing sound. And in my experience, the squealing sound sounded like a pig. So this is the process of perception. The process of perception matches up what we understand from the past to our experience and you know, kind of does a search. I'm a computer programmer, so I think of things like this. Does a search, search through our experience and says, okay, that's this. Boop. Okay, matches it up. So that's what my mind did with this. It matched up this squealing sound with the idea, that's a pig. And not only that, uh, this squealing sound had a sense of uh, distress to it. So I envisioned that this was a pig being slaughtered for dinner or for the butcher. And so compassion was the result of this experience. And so each evening when I heard this, perception arose that it was a pig being slaughtered. The compassion came up. And then one evening I was out walking around uh, at about dusk, and I saw bats flying through the air, and they were squealing. And I realized that was what I had been hearing. It had not been pigs being slaughtered. So this perception process is very prone to error. So coming into the present moment, recognizing this perceptual process as a process, can we just meet our experience without this clinging to what we think we know? So opening, opening to the possibility of this not knowing. Opening to the possibility that these views that we hold of ourselves don't have to constrain us. That that we don't have to be boxed in by these views. That we don't have to box other people in by our ideas about them. We're not open to the idea, the possibility that we're not what we think we are. Freedom from views. Freedom from the known, as Krishnamurti says. Freedom from the known. In our moment-to-moment experience, opening to the possibility, again, that we have no idea what we're looking at and what we're looking for. 
Now, the very nature of insight is that we don't really know what might happen to us around an insight. The very looking for something around an insight can obscure the insight. We actually have no idea what we're looking for. We, we have some ideas about it. We think we know what we're looking for. I remember on one retreat I'd heard a lot about this phenomenon called arising and passing, uh, a phenomenon where you start to see clearly moment to moment things coming into being and, and disappearing, just kind of in a continual stream, a flow of experience. So I'd heard this described in quite a few Dharma talks. It seemed like I'd heard it described in quite a few Dharma talks. I'd probably also read about it in books. And I really wanted that experience. <laughs> I really wanted it. And uh, one day, I was doing walking meditation, and I realized that this wanting was expressing itself through a fantasy of describing to my teacher how I had had the insight of arising and passing. And waking up into the midst of that thought, I had to laugh because at that moment I really saw that I had no idea what I wanted. I had no clue what this experience was. It was an idea in my mind. It was a thought that I wanted. I really wanted to be able to tell somebody I'd had this experience. (laughs) So it can be easier in some ways if we stop looking for insight and just meet our experience with this open mind of not knowing. My teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya, tells a story about how this works, in a way. He was visiting in Massachusetts a year, year or so ago, a couple years ago, maybe, and uh, one of his students had, uh, his father had taken them out for a drive in the countryside, in the Massachusetts countryside. And um, they were talking about all the deer that were kind of wandering around. And uh, there was some question or concern about the deers getting in front of the car, you know, hitting, hitting the deer with the car. And the, the father of the student said to Utejaniya, well, I've got a deer alarm. And the the Utejaniya didn't understand what that was. And he said, well, it's a very high-pitched sound that disturbs the deer, so they won't come near the car. Can you hear it? Can you hear the sound? And Utejaniya said he listened and listened and tried to hear the sound, and he couldn't hear it. So he stopped trying to hear the sound. And then he heard it. So it's that kind of relaxation It's like when we look for something, we don't know what we're looking for. The very looking can obscure what we're trying to see. So relaxing, settling back, and just meeting experience. We can... in this place of just meeting experience like this, coming into our present moment really fully like this, where we get the deep sense of not knowing. It can be unsettling. We can have a response of even fear, a sense of insecurity, a sense of vulnerability because it is so clear to us that we don't know what is going to happen. We just don't know. 
So what is this fear? It's worth looking into this fear. The fear might result from the mind kind of creating an idea about something that might happen because we don't know what will happen. It might create a kind of a disaster scenario which would then create fear as a result of meeting that disaster scenario. So that fear isn't really about the not knowing. It's about fearing a thought in the mind. So if you can see this process, that can help to allow the mind to settle, again, back into the present moment. And yet, settling into the present moment, there may not be any sense of a disaster scenario out there, but just this sense of just vulnerability or a sense of how do I move forward if I don't know what's going to happen next, this sense of almost being paralyzed because we don't know. In my exploration of this, I think this is about a reaction to the idea of not knowing. And what we think that means that we don't know, that we don't have control, for example. On one retreat, I felt, I found my way in the space of just really recognizing that I had no idea what the next split second of a rising experience would bring. And it took me into a place of quite strong fear. And I decided at one point, I'm going to meet this. I'm going to meet this not knowing. I'm going to really be with this not knowing. And what I discovered in this process of really trying to meet the experience was that there isn't anything that's not known. That in the moment, everything is known. Now it is true that we don't know what the next moment will bring. But the processes of the mind and body just pick up the next experience kind of automatically. When we're not creating a future and referencing it back to me, a sense of self, this truth of not knowing ceases to be a problem. It's kind of like we're standing on the edge of an abyss. We're surrounded 360 by this abyss. And we have no choice but to take a step. feeling like we're going to step into the abyss, not knowing. And we step into the abyss, and we find ourselves standing at the edge of the abyss, surrounded by the abyss. sit for a few minutes.
Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.